Hi ABC, thank you guys for being here with us. My name is Sean Russell and I'm the Operations Director and I lead our men's ministry here at Atascadero Bible Church. We're glad you guys are tuning in and uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Before we jump into today's message, I wanted to share a couple brief announcements with you about things that are coming up here at the church. Uh, the first is men, and this is for the guys out there, we're sending a group of guys up to Hume Lake uh, on October 13th through the 16th. Um, it's a great opportunity to get away. They call it escaping with a purpose. And honestly, uh, for those that have been to Hume Lake, you'll totally understand understand that. Uh, and for those that haven't, I can, I can promise you it's going to be one of those weekends that you look back on and say that was an amazing opportunity where I met God and I connected with others on a deep level. And so I'd invite you to consider that if you're available on October 13th through the 16th. Again, it's Hume Lake uh, Men's Conference uh, in the fall. Uh, if you're interested, you can drop by the church office, you could call, uh, or you can drop me an email personally at sean at abcchurch.org and uh, I'll get you connected and signed up for that trip. And the next thing, guys, we want you to be aware of is that we're hosting a missions night uh, right here at ABC on uh, October 16th. So that's Sunday, October 16th at 6 p.m., missions night here at ABC. It's a cool opportunity for you guys to connect with some of our missionaries that perhaps some of you have supported and the church has supported over the years to see what they're doing in and around the world uh, to share the gospel and to bring people closer to a relationship with Christ. So again, many of our missionaries will be there. We're also going to lay out some of our strategic initiatives and get you guys plugged in and show you guys how you can be a part of that. So mark your calendar, Sunday, October 16th at 6 p.m. for our missions conference. I hope you guys have a great Sunday. Thank you. Hi, ABC family. Thanks for tuning in with us again. My name is Gerald. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And today is September 11th, uh, which for those of you who were around 21 years ago, you know exactly where you were when you heard that the Twin Towers had been under attack and that the Pentagon was under attack. And today we remember those who gave uh, their lives, who paid the ultimate price, and who became some of our heroes as they fought these foes. Um, nine days after these attacks, President Bush said this in a speech to Congress. He said, they hate us for our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and to assemble and to disagree with each other. You see, we love our freedom as Americans, don't we? And the freedoms that we have here in America, they fueled the hatred of our enemies and they motivated these attacks. And when I think of the reasons that I personally love America, freedom is right at the core of it. I love my freedom to be able to worship God openly. I love my freedom to be able to work as diligently or not diligently as I choose, to travel freely, to raise a family. You see, there's a set of ideals in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success, as well as an upward social mobility for the family and for children achieved through hard work in a society with few barriers. This is how Wikipedia defines the American dream. We love our freedom because freedom is at the core of the American dream. And one expression of the American dream is that there are now some 80,000 people who are making a living playing video games. You can literally earn a living by recording yourself playing video games, uploading that to the internet, and having followers follow you. They you get their attention with the content and your creative approach to life, and they pay you to do what you love to do. <laughs> more crowd, more money. 
That's how we live. That's how the American dream has gotten some traction today. Now, contrary to this expression of the American dream is today's passage right out of Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus talks to us about the cost of discipleship. We continue to preach our way through the book of Matthew. We are now a couple of Sundays out of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are picking the, the story up here in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 8. And my title, as I mentioned earlier, is Discipleship Pastor here at ABC. And this sort of stuff gets me revved up. I love when Jesus uses creative words to talk to us about what true discipleship is. And that's exactly what these four or five verses we're studying today do. These are some of the hardest words that we're going to hear as Americans because Jesus talks to us about the true cost of discipleship. It's because we love our freedom in America, right? We love the idea of the American dream and what we're going to hear from Jesus now is that discipleship is not about the American dream. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 18 and we'll read through verse 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Father, thank you uh, for these words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have inspired them. Thank you, Jesus, that you spoke them. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've preserved them over the years that we still have them today. Would you, by that same Spirit, tune our ears to your voice? And Jesus, would you have your way among us? Would you show us what true discipleship looks like, what it costs? And would you motivate us in our hearts to be willing to pay the cost of discipleship? We ask for this amazing ministry of the Spirit now in Jesus' matchless name and for his ultimate glory. Amen. So right out the gate, verse 18, we learn from Jesus that discipleship is not about gathering a crowd. He says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. I don't think it's a coincidence that Matthew puts this in summary in this way. Jesus notices there's a crowd gathering around him, right? He's been on the Sermon on the Mount. He has taught them authoritatively that's got their attention. And like we heard last week, he's been doing miraculous healing after miraculous healing. So now his deeds are getting people's attention. And it's no wonder that there's a crowd gathering around. And what would we Americans do when we gather a crowd? We'd continue to feed them content. We'd continue to hold their attention in hopes that they would somehow fund our lifestyles. But that's not what Jesus does. He gives orders to go to the other side. So the question then that I think we need to ask is, why, Jesus? What, what's on the other side that would make you give this order at this time? And as you continue to read through chapter 8, you find when you get to verse 28 that they're going to encounter two fierce men, men who are under the influence of demons and who are so fierce that the text says that no one could pass that way. 
You continue to read and by verse 30 we find out that there are pigs and not just a few pigs but thousands of pigs. Now remember, pigs are unclean animals that according to Leviticus 11, Jews were forbidden from eating. So, because there were so many pigs in this area on the other side, that means also that there were bunches and bunches of Gentiles. Pagans, right? These, these people that are outside the covenant people of God. So in summary, Jesus commands his disciples to go to the other side, contrary to there being a crowd, because he knows there are two demonized men, there is a herd of 2,000 pigs, and that there are Gentiles there, and that's where he wants to go next. You see, Jesus is not about gathering a crowd. He knew his disciples were weak in faith. He knew that they needed to see him display authority over the demonic realm. He knew that he needed his disciples to see him transform these two fierce, demonized men and turn them into the first missionary to the Decapolis. He knew that his disciples needed this specific training, so he went to the place where most God-fearing people would never go, to a place of the Gentiles. Only folks who would have such a large herd of pigs would be Gentiles. And so we see in this first verse, verse 18, Jesus' true priority. He's not about gathering a crowd. He's not about continuing to feed them with more content that is satisfying their appetites. You see, he is recognizing that his disciples needed to grow, and they needed to grow through these circumstances. They needed to see that he is the sovereign Lord over this creation. So now, how about us? Is it possible that God has us in a set of circumstances that have been intentionally designed to grow us in our faith? Has he been leading you away from the crowd, outside of your comfort zone, in order to increase your faith? Could it be that through your circumstances that he is trying to show you that the abundant life is not about the American dream? See, Jesus is not about gathering a crowd. His ministry is not about just feeding the masses. He's intentionally setting out to grow his disciples in their faith, to grow them more and more into his own image. And in these few short verses, Jesus has a lot to say about the concept of discipleship. He has a lot to say to his disciples who were walking with him then, and to us, his disciples who are living in this world now. We find that the next verse teaches in verse 19 that discipleship is not about our freedom to choose. Verse 19 says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. See, Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. He is the one who initiates the relationship. If you remember way back in chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus walks up to Peter and Andrew, who were in their boat, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And as we continue to read in chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus will walk up to Levi, a man who once he follows Jesus will be renamed as Matthew, the author of this particular gospel, and he will look him in the eye and say, follow me. And the text will say, and immediately he arose and followed him. Jesus is one who calls his disciples unto himself. 
And now I realize that we have just touched on this little doctrine called election. And I want you to know that it's a thoroughgoing biblical idea. And there are just four simple summary statements that I want you to know about the doctrine of election. The first is that we are chosen in Christ. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul makes this very clear when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. Secondly, we enter into Christ through a personal decision. If you remember Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes, there's a rushing wind sound, and the Spirit falls on the disciples. And they all begin to speak in new tongues. And people look at them and they say, ah, they're, they're drunk, is what they say. That's the only explanation. And to that, Peter stands up and he says, no, that is not what's going on. Let me tell you what's going on. This is actually about what the prophet Joel has written. And he continues to help the people there at that day realize that this Jesus, whom they crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And when they hear that truth, they get cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? And Peter responds, and he says in Acts 2, 38 and 39, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Thirdly, we are divinely empowered to make this personal decision by God. So we enter into Christ through making a personal decision called repentance and faith, and we're empowered to make that decision by God himself. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So even our ability to make that human decision is empowered by God himself. And fourthly, it's God's will that none should perish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So there we have it. The doctrine of election, just in a brief summary, we're chosen in Christ. We enter into Christ through a personal decision. This decision is empowered by God himself and it's God's will that none should perish. Discipleship is about our obedience to the call of Jesus. It's not about our ability to choose. There is a pastor from Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor, he was a scholar, he was a theologian. And back in World War II times, he came back to his home country and he stood up against his own government because he didn't want um, the Nazis to advance. He, he believed that they were evil. And he is famous for writing many, many works about how the church of God works in the secular world. And he's got a book called The Cost of Discipleship that's considered a classic. And he writes, speaking of the call of Peter and speaking of the call of Levi or Matthew, 
he talks about this in terms of that. He says, faith can no longer mean sitting still and waiting. They must rise and follow him. They must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity in order to learn the demand and the gift of Christ. Had Levi stayed at his post, Jesus might have been his present help in trouble, but not the Lord of his whole life. In other words, Levi would never have learned to believe. If Peter had not taken the risk, he would never have learned the meaning of faith. Before he can believe, he, the utterly impossible and ethically irresponsible situation on the waves and the sea must be displayed. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Let me say that last sentence again. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Now, let me ask you this. In what area of life is Jesus inviting you to obey him? Where or how is he asking you to take a step of faith? Remember, the road to faith passes through obedience. You see, discipleship is not about our freedom to choose, but it's about us making a choice to obey if we hope to walk by faith. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. So all of this, Jesus next makes a strange reply to this scribe who addresses him as teacher. And Jesus' reply shows us that discipleship is not about our earthly comfort. Listen again to Jesus' reply in verse 20. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. See, the scribe likely did not know that he was signing up for suffering when he said that he wanted to follow Jesus. And I wonder, do we? Do we realize that? As we pursue the American dream, do we work hard and seek to find comfort on this earth or in our earthly circumstances? I feel like we do because we're always looking for life hacks, right? We're always looking for those shortcuts to make life more comfortable or to make our problems go away more quickly. But the following Jesus creates difficult circumstances. When we choose to follow him as his disciples, we will find difficulty. And verse 20 indicates that Jesus had determined to leave the security of home in order to travel and get the ministry out to the people who needed to hear it. For Jesus' disciples, following him means being willing to sacrifice comfort for the sake of the kingdom. Paul assured Timothy, and through Timothy, us, that this is what we must expect as we follow Christ. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what we're promised as we sign up to follow Jesus. So many people in the world live in a culture that when they say yes to Jesus, when they obediently hear and respond to his call in faith, that means they lose everything else. They get disowned by their family. They lose their house. They lose their material possessions. They lose it all just because they said yes to Jesus. And it may not be that extreme for us right now in America, 
but you can bet that the, in the eyes of the world, you will look like a fool when you choose to, de, to decide to follow Jesus, to respond to his call in faith. And it's also very likely that we will endure even increasing persecution in these final days. The persecution of Christians is on the rise, even in the Western world these days. And we in America need to be spiritually and mentally prepared to endure this. And as we do, we must keep this biblical truth at the forefront of our minds. It's in these difficult circumstances that Jesus himself becomes our comforter. Discipleship is not about our earthly comfort, but it's about finding our comfort in Jesus himself. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us and he equips us as he comforts us to extend his comfort to others. You see, discipleship is not about our earthly comfort, but looking to God to be our comforter while we're here on earth. And lastly, we find that in verses 21 and 22, discipleship is not about our other obligations. Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now scholars are split about what this disciple is asking for when he says this. Some believe that his father has literally just died and that he just needs a day or so to go and bury his father and to fulfill the law and to fulfill his obligation in honoring his father and his mother. Then he will come and follow Jesus. Others say that this man's father is alive and well and what he's really saying is, Jesus, I need you to wait like a few years till dad finally falls ill and then dies and then I bury him and then I'll come and I will follow you. The bottom line is, whether it's a day or 10 years, we need to respond to Jesus' call in faith. Either way, the call of Jesus is to take priority over the law and over our preferred timetable as we seek to honor our mother and our father. And Jesus' response to this disciple is so strange and even a bit offensive. Listen to what he says. He says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. The idea here is that Jesus is calling his disciple, this one who is spiritually alive, to leave the business of the dead to others who are dead, who others who are spiritually dead. He says, follow me. We have kingdom work to do. We are on mission. Let's go. And in me, you are alive. Leave the dead to the business of the realm of the dead. You see, I wonder, we justify a lot of the American dream in the name of our other obligations, don't we? Think of it. It's like, I don't have time for church today. I need to take my kids to the ball field. Or, no, I can't stay around and help with childcare at that second service because we family, we always have a family brunch and that NFL game is about to start, so we just need to go. Our list of excuses goes on and on. But in today's passage, Jesus calls us out 
and he tells us that discipleship is not about our other obligations, but it's about our allegiance to him on his terms and in his timing. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 14, verses 26 and 7. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow, Jesus, that seems kind of harsh. We're to to hate mother and father and wife and children? What about the commandments? And culturally, we need to understand that what he is saying here is that our love for Jesus is to be so dedicated and so white hot that our love for our horizontal family looks like hatred in comparison. Yes, we husbands are to love our wives like Jesus loves the church. Parents are to love their children. Children are to honor their mothers and their dads. And I would say that this can only happen when Jesus is our primary priority. We can only love people in this way when we first love God with all our mind, heart, soul, and spirit. So what about this disciple in today's passage who is told to leave his father? What do we do with that? Jesus recognizes the value of family. And he promises a hundredfold in return for whatever we give up when we follow him. He said this in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. See, Jesus recognizes the value of family. He recognizes the value of material things like houses. And he says, if you ever give up these things in order to follow me, I'll make sure that you are repaid a hundredfold in this life with persecutions and in the next life, eternal life. He knows the value of these things. He knows how important they are to us as humans. And this is a promise that motivates our missionaries. I mean, what else would cause Jessica and Luke Theck to say goodbye to family, to say goodbye to everything they own, and pick up and move to Papua New Guinea to make disciples? What else but the call of Jesus and their humble and obedient response to him, coupled in this promise that whatever they give up for him and for the sake of the gospel will be repaid a hundredfold in this life and in the the next. You know, I can also testify to the truth of this passage. I grew up on a farm and a ranch. I was the fourth generation American of Norwegian immigrants. I was the third generation on the family farm. My grandfather started it when he married the local one-room schoolhouse teacher who had saved up enough money to to buy a quarter section of land and they built a house and they got a a cow herd together, they had some pigs, they had some chickens and they began to farm. My dad joined the farm business in 1959 and they grew it. And by the time that I got uh, into college and began to be a business partner in it, we were farming a couple of thousand acres. We had 500 head of beef cows and we were working hard 
to make as much money as we could, and we were playing hard on the weekend, and we were really pursuing the American dream. And Jesus got a hold of my life in my early 30s, and he began to change my thinking. He began to show me that I was a workaholic. My priorities were all out of whack, and he asked me to follow him. And shortly after following him, I ended up needing to leave the local church that we were part of because this local church was not teaching and preaching the truth of God's word and living according to it. We were not a fully 100% Bible-believing, obeying church. So I had to leave that church. I tried to change it, but they wouldn't change. Nobody else felt the same way about it. And when I left that church, that meant that I left my mom and my dad, my grandma and my grandpa, my siblings, our local community members. I had to give that up in order to humbly and obediently follow Jesus. And we found a Bible-believing church, and shortly after that, I felt conviction to be baptized as a believer. And then two months later, Jesus calls me very clearly into vocational ministry, and he says, I want you to go and learn how to comfort my people and learn how to preach my word. And that meant seminary. In the end, what he said was, I need you to sell the land, sell the machinery, sell the cows. We're going to go make disciples. And it's our experience that when we heard and responded to the call of Jesus by faith, he blessed us. Yes, we had to say farewell to our house that sat on two acres and trade that in for a 700-square-foot apartment in La Mirada with a raging meth addict on the other side of the bedroom wall that literally we thought he was going to come crashing into our bedroom one night. We knew we weren't in North Dakota anymore. But I can tell you that God has been faithful to his promise. Whatever it was that we gave up in order to pursue the call that Christ put on our lives, he has more than paid back. The promise in the word is a hundredfold. And we're trusting him that there will be even more than that in eternity. Bottom line is, folks, whatever the Lord is saying to you, wherever he was calling you to follow him, you will know no greater joy than taking that step of obedience. The road to faith travels through obedience. Only the obedient walk by faith, and only the faithful are obedient. So where is the Lord at work in you? What is he calling you to do? Are there areas that you have been hearing his call and you're saying, Lord, first, let me... This timing isn't ideal from your perspective. What step of obedience is Jesus asking you to take today. I just want you to sit with that. And I want you to know that Jesus will never ask you to do something that he won't empower you to accomplish. And you will know no greater joy than walking in humble obedience to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Let me pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for these words. These words are difficult words. These words land on our ears and, and, and they hurt because they, they run contrary against our ideals as Americans, our love for freedom, our love for pursuing the American dream. You call us to something so much different than that. 
And Lord, I pray that whatever you are doing in our midst right now, none of us would hear your voice and choose not to obey. Lord, would you create in us a heart of obedience and the willingness to take that next step, whatever that step is. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this truth of your word and we ask that you would cause it to bear fruit among us as we seek to live in obedience to it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. ABC family, thanks again for tuning in. And before you go, I just want to read a benediction over you. This is right out of the last few verses of the book of Romans. Paul writes this in Romans 16, beginning at verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great week. We love you.